You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns. This is the show we share cutting edge strategies to help marketing directors, CMOs, kings of business to acquire leads and sales to ultimately achieve your vision. And Kasim, speaking of kings, kings of business, kings of our industry, we have somebody here today that I certainly have a long-standing relationship with. I've known for many, many years. He was the first book I ever read on internet marketing and advertising, his Google pay-per-click book, which he's obviously expanded out tremendously since then. He's now one of those forward thinkers, dare I say, futurist of our space, but not only just our space, but just humanity and philosophy just in general. And I think we have a pre- amazing guest here on Perpetual Traffic and one that I'm super excited. I can't believe it's taken us 550 some odd shows to have him on board, but we've got Perry Marshall here today on Perpetual Traffic. What do you think about that? I'm speechless, Ralph. There's nothing I could add to that introduction outside of the fact that I'm a big Perry Marshall fan. If you haven't heard of Perry, he's an impossible person to encapsulate. And he's worth the Google, like his writing, he's got a blog and he talks about theology and health and business and just a really, really interesting dude who's fun to listen to. And I think that everybody's going to get a lot out of this talk in this interview. I'm excited. Yeah, I think if you're a digital marketing person, and obviously if you're listening to this show and you've been listening to any shows, you're probably familiar with his book. 80, 20 sales. And you can't be in marketing and not have come across Perry Marshall's books, even if you don't realize that's it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And just a shameless plug. We actually helped promote and launch this book way back when. Me and my former partner, can't believe it. He's nodding his head, yes. And I remember it was a picture of Perry with a penny on the image. And that was like the crushing creative. It's like nothing could ever beat it. Picture of Perry with a penny. So there you go. Simple simple graphics. But anyway, that sort of took his career, I think, to that next level. And now here we're going to be talking about not necessarily 80-20 marketing. If you think about Perry Marshall, it's just that. There is so much more to that. But that's sort of what a lot of people will know him for. So anyway, obviously, super excited to have Perry Marshall on the show. We're going to pull him out of the virtual green room here. Welcome to Perpetual Traffic. Where have you been for the last 500 episodes? Perry, thanks for coming on. It's an honor to be on this show. And Kasim, I love talking to you. Ralph, I love talking to you. We're going to talk about a lot of crazy stuff today. And let's just dive right in because it's serious, intense stuff. Serious and intense stuff. So I had a conversation yesterday with some friends. One of my buddies is in this mastermind that's built around living forever. So it's a bunch of like obnoxiously wealthy people that now have decided they want to be immortal. And they bring in all these thought leaders and experts. And they brought in that, and you guys probably heard of him. His name's Brian Johnson. He's that billionaire Silicon Valley guy that spends $2 million a year trying to stay 18 years old. You know what I'm talking about? I've heard of him. So I don't know anything about Brian, but he said something that my friend relayed that I thought was really, really interesting and, and actually pretty poignant. He said, for the first time in history, it's impossible to predict what's going to happen four months from now. And I thought, first of all, that's a really specific timeline. And I don't know why he chose four months and not three or five. 
But second of all, I feel that way too. Like I wake up every day and I'm like, I can't believe that just happened. You know, I can't believe this happened with Google or I can't believe this happened with attribution or I can't believe this happened in more tangibly and tactically like businesses that go under, businesses that make it. Like things are happening that just feel so shocking. And then as we were prepping for this talk and this call, Perry said something that, you know, in true Perry Marshall form was massively contrarian. Perry goes, actually, the future is more predictable than you think. And I'm like, well, shit. I can't wait to hear how and why Perry thinks that there's more predictability. And normally, if somebody told me that, I'd be so skeptical. But because I know enough about you, I'm just excited. So I'd love to learn how it is and why it is that you think there's more visibility into the future than I do. Because, man, I feel full on chicken little. The sky is falling, ostrich, bury my head in the sand, and hope it all turns out for the best. Well, I relate to your feeling. There's certainly aspects of the world that four months from now you can't predict. But if you want to predict the future, you start with what's not going to change because it's way easier to figure out what's going to stay the same than it is what's going to be different. So I am pretty sure that 500 years from now, people are going to sit at chairs and tables and eat food with knives and spoons and forks, and they'll still be drinking coffee, tea bourbon, wine, milk, and water. I'm sure that those soft drinks will still be around and human beings will still be human beings. I think one of the most useful things about figuring out the future is what's called the Lindy effect, which says that how long something's been around is how long it's going to be around. And it comes from a cafe near Broadway called Lindy's where all of the actors and actresses would get together and they would say, well, well, how long is this show going to run? And the answer was, well, it's been running a week. I'll give it another week. If it's been running a month, I'll give it another month. If fan of the opera has been playing for 30 years, I'll give it another 30 years. Mm. If Wicked has been running for 20 years, I'll give it another 20 So COVID hits and people go, oh, my God, cash is going to go away because nobody's going to want to touch a dollar bill. You go, well, how long has cash been around? Uh, 5,000 years? I'll give it another 5,000. How long has the Torah been around? 4,000 years? I'll give it another 4,000. If you want to predict the future, you start with that. So I've been thinking very hard about, just like everybody is, Where is AI going? What is happening? And I started making a list of things that I made a list of equivalencies. I made a list of what got decimated in the 2000s. And I came up with things like yellow pages, newspapers, print and media advertising, travel agencies, physical recorded music like CDs, film photography, and all of that got decimated by the internet. And then I made a list of, so what are the equivalent things that are going to be decimated by AI? I'm going to give you a framework of how I think about this. History doesn't exactly repeat itself, but it rhymes. And history Mm. is fractal. I took the idea of history rhyming, not repeating, but rhyming. I'll give you an example. Travel agencies got decimated by the internet 20 years ago. Anybody that's old enough clearly remembers that. 
Well, I think digital marketing agencies are equivalent to travel agencies. And I think digital agencies are going to get decimated by AI. And then you have to ask, you know, this is where it gets super interesting and not just scary. Okay, I know people run agencies. You guys even run agencies. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? Well, let's think through what actually happened when the travel agencies got taken out. What did they get taken out by? Aggregators. Expedia, TripAdvisor, Airbnb, Orbitz, Southwest Airlines website. All right. Next question. What did not change? Travel. Travel. That's the Lindy question. What did change? People still travel. Matter of fact, you can make the case that people traveled more when the travel agents didn't get in the way. (laughs) Yes. And that takes us to the very next question, which is, Every time there's a decimation, something goes 10x, maybe 100, maybe 1,000x. Let me jump to film cameras. Film cameras got wiped out. And people stopped taking pictures entirely. Of course they did. (laughs) Nobody takes (laughs) pictures now. Right. Actually, pictures went 1,000x. Dude, the amount of times I've had, it's so sad because I think I pay for Google One on four different Google accounts because my Google Photos gets maxed out and it (laughs) cross devices and I haven't done a good job syncing it between this, that, and whatever. So I pay for storage on photos that Perry, I'll never look at again. You know what I mean? I don't even know what they are or why they are, but because I take so many stupid pictures. You just underscored the point. Is there less money made via photography Mm. or more money now compared to 1995. So how much money is made on photos and digital advertising? How much money is made by clickbait headlines? How much money is made by Facebook and Instagram posts? How much money is made by Kasim having four Google accounts that he can't figure out how to condense down to one? A whole lot more than Photomat and Kodak. Are the $800 processing fees that we used to like pay every single month between myself and my wife, which we probably, probably in storage, probably it's about that's the same, yeah. you know, if you really think about it. Sure. Yeah. Or how about maps? The Rand McNally Road Atlas kind of went out of fashion. Mm. But think about it. People use maps a hundred times more than they did in the 1990s. A lot of people use a map everywhere they go in their car. Why? Because they need traffic. They need the little traffic thing to tell them to avoid 290. Oh, dude, I do that. I could be traveling 10 minutes from my house and I'm going to Google map it because I know Google will tell me not the most efficient route based off of what's going on near me. And when I don't use it like I did yesterday... I was coming back from Boston. I was like, ah, I don't need to use Waze this time. I got caught and it took me twice as long. Yep. I'm like, damn it, should have used Waze. Yeah. Dude, I used to deliver pizza pre-smartphone. When I was, a, I was 18, 19 years old and I'm delivering pizza and they had this huge map of the city of Albuquerque on the back of a, and not even the city, like just the little area that we served. And you had to find the house and then I'd write on my hand, left, right, right, left, left. You know what I mean? And that was the way that I found these dumb houses pizza delivery's gotten exponentially more effective now that the pizza delivery kid has an app in his phone. Which means yes. more pizza deliveries. So, <laughs> more, more pizzas. pizzas. If you start with Lindy, 
and you say, what did not fundamentally change? People sharing pictures with each other. Hmm. And the current way of doing it gets decimated. That means there's a future version that's going to 10x or 100x or 1,000x. And it's probably not going to be a direct business, but indirectly, there's going to be all kinds of money made on that new business. So I went to a party in New York City, a private party in October, and Daniel Kahneman, the Nobel Prize winning economist who wrote Thinking Fast and Slow, was the guest speaker, and he was talking about AI. And everybody in the room They were doctors, lawyers, professors, actors. It was a pretty high and kind of a left-leaning, you know, urban New York City intellectual crowd. And nobody at that party was optimistic about AI. There was an actress sitting next to me. She goes, so I had a gig at Disney. They did a 360-degree camera thing. I signed my life away. They can make Barbie dolls out of me. They can make CGI movies out of me. Why is anybody going to need an actor or an actress? Is anybody even going to care if real actors or actress even acted in a movie? Are we just going to have AI-generated movies? And she was very despondent. I am not pessimistic about AI. Now, I am exquisitely clear about all the problems If you know me, if you follow me, I can find problems anywhere. I mean, that's what makes me a good consultant. I I get it. All the dystopias I totally get. But this has been going on for 500 years. For 500 years, oh, looms are going to replace people weaving cloth. And, oh, you know, calculators are, oh, spreadsheets are going to replace accountants. When did a spreadsheet ever replace an accountant? Accountants use spreadsheets all day long. Nobody would ever tell your accountant, hey, you need to go back to calculators. You know, those, all those complicated, you know, all those formulas, you need to do those by hand. They're taking away your job. So what I say is the job AI took away from you, you never really liked in the first place. Think about it. You're running Facebook accounts. Oh, I just love coming up with clickbait headlines. That is my favorite thing in the whole world. I just love looking at all those stats and figuring out which of those ads. I I like going from ad group to ad group to ad group going, uh, keep delete, keep delete. Oh, that's fun. That's exactly what I want to do. Isn't it true what you really want to do is solve a larger level problem? Isn't it true you didn't want to drill, you wanted a hole? Yep. So I say computers don't unemploy people. Computers employ people. In fact, the problem isn't being employed. The problem is making sure you don't get enslaved. There's always going to be a job. I'm seeing another thing. I know a bunch of AI people, and I talk to them all the time. I'm doing an AI seminar in April, and I think some of the friggin' smartest people in the world, or I'm talking to them all the time. And one of the things that I am noticing, so Josh Pelliser told me this. He said, I wanted to study philosophy in school. And when I went to the advisor at the university to sign up, he said, well, There's just one phrase you need to know if you study philosophy, and it's, would you like fries with that? But he went into philosophy anyway. He said, I learned all these mental models, and I learned all of these ways of thinking about stuff. Now that I have all these thinking and mental models, 
I can say to an AI, apply the Socratic method to this document. Or one time I wrote the craziest prompt in ChatGPT. I said, tell me the process by which somebody gets nominated for a Nobel Prize and put it in the structure of Box Brandenburg Concertos. And it goes, well, Box Brandenburg Concertos have these six sections. And the first one is this, and the second one is this, and the second one is this. Applying for Nobel Prize into that structure, it looks like this. Number one, number two. And it was like, dang. Now, you may think that's useful. You may think it's useless. But the point is, one out of 100 of those is going to be like a flipping, incredibly useful way to solve a problem that nobody in the history of the earth has ever solved a problem. And if you can ask questions, so back to my original point about it two minutes ago was there's a whole bunch of people that learned literature and they played Dungeons and Dragons or they studied philosophy or they're crazy into skateboarding or some weird thing. And all of a sudden that becomes incredibly easy because you can ask some question from some weird corner of the universe. You can apply it to something you're doing right now, get a completely unique answer. And you have, might have to do it 20 times, but 5% of the time you're going to come up with something that's pure gold and it's completely original. And Sam Woods says, we are at the first time in history that the machine adapts to you instead of you having to adapt to machine. So if you bought a chainsaw to chop a tree down, you had to learn to use the chainsaw. The chainsaw did not learn anything about you. We are now at the first time where a human being can speak in plain English to a machine and just keep rinse repeating until the machine figures out how you talk and what you want and how you think. We can go to future things. Like I think sooner or later, somebody's going to figure out how to make self-driving cars work. It's been a bitch of a problem. But I know that, let me tell you how I know they're going to solve it. I remember four or five years ago, I saw some blog post somewhere that said, how long do you think it's going to be before AI can write a New York Times bestselling book? And I laughed. I thought, that's ridiculous. That's redonkulous. Never. Oh, 30 years, maybe. Optimistic. I don't think that's 30 years away. Winning now, literature competitions now, isn't it? That's the big... Yeah. yeah, like, now, somebody will have to prompt it with a whole bunch of philosophical, structural, here's how I want the story to go. But they'll put that in, and then it will spit out a New York Times bestseller. That's going to happen. I was way off on that. I didn't realize that an awful lot of human language is just patterns. But mm -hmm. some people figured that out. So I know, therefore, based on that, they're going to figure out self-driving cars. People needing to move people or things from point A to point B is the Lindy thing, and that is not going to change. But when there are self-driving cars, and probably automobile ownership may go away, you may not need a driveway. Why would I need a driveway? I don't need to own a car. But there's going to be 10x to 100x more of some kind of transportation going on. Because we got rid of you have to own a car, you have to pay the insurance, you have to take it to the mechanic, that's going to go away. Mm. And then you're going to go... Do you remember what a pain in the ass it was to have a car? It was almost like owning a horse. It pooped all over the place. You had to clean up. You had to feed it every day. You had to have a stable. You had to have a garage. You had to have a mechanic. 
Oh my God. So you can't figure out what's going to happen in the future. So what's some other things? I think subject matter experts are going to move in a very similar trajectory as recorded music. I do these local workshops called Perry Marshall Live. And about three years ago, I was doing one in Nashville. And a guy that came to the Nashville was a guy who worked the Nashville music scene. And he had a company that figured out for medium-sized artists, your music is being used on YouTube videos and TikTok videos and Facebook videos and social media posts. And we have the technology to figure this out. And we send letters to Yahoo and Facebook and we get the royalties that you're supposed to get paid on that stuff. And we take 10%. He told me the most fascinating thing. So I had this idea of what had happened with recorded music. I'm like, well, Spotify pays five thousandths of a penny per song play, which is virtually nothing. There's no money in recorded music anymore. And he goes, no, 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 no. What? He says, artists make a teeny tiny amount of money on one song play, but there's so many more song plays now than there was 30 years ago. There is so much activity on the internet. He goes, 50 years ago, the money that an artist made was one-third recordings, one-third live performance, and one-third merch. He said today, it's still one-third recordings, one-third live, and one-third merch. And what has Spotify and YouTube done to the price of a concert ticket? Through the roof. Through the roof. Yeah, it's insane. So I have a prediction. I have a sort of kind of think it'll happen prediction, and I have a certain this will happen prediction. My sort of kind of think it'll probably happen prediction is that the laws around AI will say that if your AI was trained on copyrighted material, you have to pay the copyright holder some minuscule sliver, just like Spotify. Those kind of bills are in Congress right now. I sort of kind of think that might happen. Mm. And what I know will happen is the level of trust in digital stuff, in digital information is going to go down. Mm. And the need for trust in a live human being that you can trust, that you know you can trust, is going to go through the roof. I think that's the trajectory for subject matter experts. So if you go back to live music, if you're a tiny little band and you've got like a thousand followers on Spotify, you're not going to tour. You can't even make it work. But if you're Taylor Swift, you're creating a billion dollars just by going on tour. I found out from a music promoter the other day when a band like Taylor Swift goes on tour, Live Nation will go to that artist. They will pay him 100% to 102% of the ticket price because they know they'll make $44 per attendee on food and beverage at a concert. And they know they make $65 a head on Jimmy Buffett because his people drink more. <laughs> <laughs> on parking. Totally makes sense. That's so funny. Okay, I think in the next five years, there is going to be a huge premium on trust. 
because of deep fakes and all the rest. So I believe that in large, low-resolution terms, you can make a lot of predictions about the future and be right about them. And I'm mm. putting my money on some of those things. So the take-home message here is make sure to attract alcoholic clientele because they're worth more money. 65 bucks a head yeah. in beverage at the Jimmy Buffett concert. That's right. So first of all, Perry, I love everything you're saying. It's tons of fun to think about. And I imagine, as with all things that I encounter with you, I'll learn more as I spend more time thinking about it, which is a compliment. Here's my objection to the Lindy effect, which I imagine there's a quick answer for. The way that you've identified what's going to stay is brilliant and fun to think about. But the Lindy effect, like how long has the internet been around? Mm -hmm. 50 years. So I'll give it 50 more years. It feels like it applies to the incumbents, but it doesn't apply to any of the newcomers. So like how long has AI been around? It, and, and the answer is probably longer, but let's say, you know, chat GPT has been two years. So we'll say two years. So I'll give it another two years. Right. But we know that's not true, right? Like the internet has a hundred million years and AI, how long has cryptocurrency been around? 10 years. So I'll give it another 10 years. Mm -hmm. I feel like Lindy works really well for the things that we know are established, but it doesn't work well for these new technologies trying to figure out what is going to make an impact and what is going to go by the wayside. And the specific example I'll offer is prompt engineering. The whole world is obsessed with prompt engineering. That's the thing that people are taking courses on and being trained on because they think they're going to need to be prompt engineers. One of the smartest AI guys I know, Perry Belcher, says prompt engineering's it's got 18 months because the AI is going to, to the point that you just made quoting Sam Woods, AI is going to learn you to a point to where you're not going to need to be a prompt engineer anymore. So mm -hmm. how do we know of what's new, what's going to stay? Is there a Lindy equivalent? Well, I love what you said because you very well may be right that if LLMs have been hot for two years, I'd only be sure that they're going to make it another two years before they're replaced by somebody else. I would only bet on LLMs for two more years. So Lindy is fragile. So you go, how long have people wanted to go places forever? People are going to continue to want to go places forever. So then, well, how long have travel agents been around? Like, go back 20 years. and Well, travel agents have been around, I don't know, 100 years or something. And travel agents are still around. But what do travel agents do now? They sell $70,000 vacations to people that go on cruises and really expensive, high, super high-end stuff, and those are still around. That's also going to apply to marketing agencies. There's always going to be high-end marketing agencies. But if you can read it out of Perry's book, then a machine can learn how to do it. If it's just copy procedure, standard op SOP stuff that you outsource to Filipino VAs, that ain't going to last very long. Right. It forces us to go to a whole level of learning, which is what I said about philosophers. You know, these are people that think about thinking and they love to ask questions. I think we are moving from a obsession with answers to the new kings of the universe are people who are obsessed with questions unanswered questions, really hard, difficult questions, questions that make most eyes glaze over. Those are the people who are all of a sudden going to be the new nerds and the new geeks, like nerds and geeks used to be horrible like 30 years ago, and now they're kings of the universe. I think, I think we're going to have a whole new generation advanced beyond what the tech nerds of the current time are doing. Mm. When I talk to people about AI, 
And I'll just give an example of it. We had some folks over this weekend, and they're both in industries that are non-digital related. And I found myself pontificating about what you see right now in AI is the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. And it's going to be a force multiple. I look at it as a very, very positive thing. And there is so much evidence now of what you're saying for in-person, tangible like I can see, feel the human experience. Like look at the Eras tour with Taylor Swift. Unbelievable. I sent my kids to Travis Scott over Christmas. You guys might not even know who he is. One of the most popular, absolutely insane following, huge downloads on Spotify. People are craving this in-person experience. This new like I'm not even a cruise ship person. This new Titanic of the seas, this thing it's like five Titanics and one is the biggest cruise ship ever. It's sold out for seven months. People are craving in-person experiences. And I see it as a reaction to everything that's going on right now, so much so. But then when I talk to the average person, I was talking to somebody who works for the IRS and then another one who's an architect, and all they see is doom and gloom when it comes to AI. I'm sure you must face this. They're like, oh, but then there's not going to be any, like the actor one was one of the things that they brought up when you said, it. I'm like, oh my God, I have this conversation so much. And I try and portray it as this is actually a really positive thing. What do you say to those people? How do you sort of broad brush it? Not necessarily to the digital marketing crowd, the perpetual traffic listener, but just in general, this is not doom and gloom. Yes, there could be some downside to it. You might not know what's real and what's not real on the internet. Of course, got that deep fakes, you know, the Pope wearing the funny white parka, all that sort of stuff. Like, how do you talk to people about it? I had a roundtable meeting mastermind last week, and one of my members made, I think, an incredibly sharp observation. He said, I've been training my team on AI. And he goes, I think you're smoking dope if you think that most people are going to sit there and make their own GPT bots and automate their whole job. He goes, the average person is not going to do that. They don't have enough willpower. They don't have enough agency. They don't have enough curiosity. They just kind of want to be told what to do. So there's kind of a downside to this answer, which is, frankly, I think 80 or 90% of people are just going to float like a fish downstream and they're going to do whatever. Just like social media, we've already been through this, but 10% are going to be hugely empowered. And one of the biggest things about AI and about technology in general is technology turns what used to be 80-20 into 90-10. 80-20 says 20% creates 80% of the results and 80% creates 20% of the results That's true in the high-friction brick-and-mortar world. That's true of plumbers and taco stands and automobiles and roads and and all that kind of stuff. All that stuff is 80-20. Internet is 90-10. On the internet, 10% of the companies have 90% of the business, and 90% of the companies have 10% of the business. And the difference between the haves and have-nots is not 16 to 1. It's 80 to 1. And what you're going to see is the people who own their power, own their agency, are curious, ask questions, deliberately evolve, deliberately adapt, deliberately pursue the future, are going to be much more powerful than people ever were before. 
And then there's going to be a whole lot of fish floating down the stream. And that's just the good and the bad. It is going to be what it is going to be. The thing is, is you get to decide, am I in the bottom 90% or am I going to be in the top 10%? And this is the agility decade, like if there ever was one. You need to have faith, and I don't think there's any other word for it. You need to have faith that what you learned before that became obsolete is still useful in some other context. If you can make the analogy, it's not going to work directly the same. But if you were a photographer in the 1990s, you acquired a whole lot of skills about how to see the world and how to compose a picture. And then when they gave you a digital camera, there were so many more things. You could take a 100 times more pictures and look at them and sift them and sort them and make better photography than ever before. But if you were all, ah, the sky is falling about film cameras... You missed it. It went completely over your head. Yeah. <laughs> the world's going 90-10, man. I knew it had to come back to an 80-20 analogy, Perry. <laughs> well, what's nice is Perry has to write another book now because 80-20 is outdated, and now we need 90-10. Right. If you want to understand 90-10, start by understanding 80-20 really, really well because it's only mm. a little it's just more unequal. The world runs on inequality. And people that grew up in a democracy and we're all equal and we're endowed by the creator with inalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, all that stuff. I believe it. It's all spiritually true. But it has this tendency to blind you to the fact that the world is ridiculously unequal. Cause and effect are ridiculously unequal. Some people are ridiculously more powerful than others. Are you going to be weak or are you going to be powerful? The best thing you can do for the poor is not be one of them. Mm. Amen to that. It's fun because we just gave our listener the action item. In your business or in your industry, what's the 80-20? Because that's mm -hmm. going to go 90-10. Yep. And then put it through this Lindy effect lens. What's always been. And I love the way that you started, Perry. Well, we know it's not going to change. So in your business, you're just, and it, you know, this isn't a fool's errand. And it wouldn't be a Pyrrhic victory to identify what are the things in your world that are not going to change. Because you can build a whole business on that. Yeah. So everybody listening, you have some homework. What a fun conversation that could catalyze too if you did that with your executive staff. That should be in your quarterly meeting if you're in a business. That's one of what's not, what's going, not to going to change yeah. and how can we change. Well, it's fun with because what I want to know is I want to know mm -hmm. where two really smart people disagree. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. Oh, right? goodness. Right. How much fun would that be to figure out two really smart people disagree on what's not going to change? Mm -hmm. Now we're cooking with something that looks yeah. like oil, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen, brother. Preach, Preach it. it. Do it. Well, there's your action item. Perry Marshall, so happy, pleased, excited, grateful to have you on. Grateful for your wisdom, grateful for your guidance through the years. Where can people find you now? I know you do in-person stuff, a lot of that. So where can people best connect with you? Go to perrymarshall.com. You can find my 80-20 book. You can find the Perry Marshall Lives that I do around the country. You can find our AI seminar you can get prognostications about the future and where it's all going. Like sleep with one eye open, man, because it's intense. 
<laughs> I love that. It's just not, not a kid's nursery rhyme or a Metallica song. You heard it here first from Perry Marshall. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, make sure that wherever you do listen to podcasts, subscribe and leave a rating. We do appreciate that. Of course, follow myself on LinkedIn, uh, Ralph Burns, and then Kasim on all socials at Kasim Aslam. Go back and listen to previous episodes. We will leave links in the show notes and ways in which you can connect with Perry over at perpetualtraffic.com. And of course, make sure that you check out our YouTube channel at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube. So thanks once again, Perry, for coming on PT this week. Maybe we'll have you on in another 500 episodes, I suppose. No, we'll do it way before then. This has been way too much fun. No, that's the Lindy rule, rule, Ralph. It took oh, 500 to get Perry on, so we're going to have to wait another 500. Yeah. It works in the podcasting Obviously. world as well. Of course. That's right. Why wouldn't it? So on behalf of my awesome co-host, Kasim Aslam. Peace. Until next show, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic 